Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Amen. Uh, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I just want to echo what Rebecca said and thank you guys for coming and helping. Um, just heard several, several great compliments about Awakening Church serving. and So it was amazing. You good today? Everybody good? Awesome. I'm excited about sharing today. Uh, I'm going to jump right back into this idea of remembering and having a victorious mindset. I feel like the Lord has some stuff in there for us. And um, I'm just going to tell you from the very beginning, it's going to be very scripture heavy. And so I encourage you to write down these references and just study them. Yeah, I hear people all the time. I don't know where to start in study. I don't know where to start. Well, a good place to start is what you hear on Sundays Study that out. Find out. Does that make sense? Don't just take my word for it. As much as I want you to trust me, I want you to find out for yourself what the Holy Spirit is saying and, and what he is doing. And um, so lots of scripture references today, and uh, we're going to try to get most of them up there for you. Uh, but I, I would really encourage you to write them down and just ask the Holy Spirit. Here's the other thing. Listen, when you study those things, you don't have to study them all at one time. Seriously, I, I will take one scripture and meditate on that for days upon days. Seriously, one or two verses sometimes. Like, okay, what are you really saying there? I know that there's something more there. I know that you're attempting to, to say something. So um, I would highly, highly encourage us to do that, okay? How many of you are ready to live from the place of a, a victorious mindset? How many of you are ready for those around you to live with that? Listen, see, how come y'all amen more for that one than you did for yourself? Right? You want everybody else to get their stuff together, right? Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, I, I want to make sure that, that what I'm saying and, and what I'm remembering and what I'm thinking about is leading me to this place of, of victory. And I believe that the Lord is giving us an upgrade. That's the wording that I used last week, that he's giving us an upgrade in a victorious mindset. And um, so I'm going to show you some things today. Did, did you know, did you, and, and I'm going to show you this, you know, uh, if, if we've got Bible on it, it's true, right? Did you know that your thought process can limit what God can do in your life? The way that you think about things, what you dwell on, what you remember, absolutely can limit what he can do in your life. And I'm going to show it to you in the Bible in just a few minutes. Uh, some amazing things. I just want to say, I'm glad I've been calling them the Israelites. I'm glad that the Israelites are back. We had uh, several that were in Israel for like two weeks, but we're glad you're back. I probably should have let you all speak because you probably just glowing with the anointing of walking all over the place. But Charlotte and Lisa and Diana, we're so glad that you're back and uh, had a safe trip to Israel. And I'm rebuking you going again without me, but, uh, Anyway, we're glad that you're back. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. Let, let me say a couple of things, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get into some of the scripture references. Are you, is everybody good? You good today? You ready to listen? All right. Well, there you go. I'm going to talk to those three right there. <laughs> the ability to remember what the Lord has done for us is tied to our ability to rightly perceive the involvement of heaven in our circumstances. Okay, I want you to catch that again. Remember what I've been talking to you about uh, in regard to even 2020, the prophetic word that I gave you. 2020 is not just about what you see. It's about how you perceive what it is that you see. Having a correct perception is really, really important. How many of you know that's true? You can look at something, and if you see it incorrectly, you're going to approach it incorrectly, Right? And so let me, let me say that again. The ability to remember what the Lord has done for us is tied to our ability to rightly perceive the involvement of heaven in our circumstances. So important. Okay, you got to be able to perceive heaven's involvement. 
We're working toward a lifestyle that is on earth as it is in heaven. It's what Jesus prayed when the disciples asked, hey, how should we pray? On earth as it is in heaven. This is what you're praying. This is what you're asking for, okay? So it's very important to be able to perceive heaven's involvement in our circumstances. Equally as important is to understand that it can be hindered by equating everything that happens from heaven to a natural circumstance. Yeah. Equally as important as being able to perceive heaven's involvement is equating everything that happens in your life or the involvement in heaven to a natural circumstance. I'm going to show this to you. It can also be hindered by a hard heart. The ability to perceive what the Lord is doing in your life can be hindered if your heart is hard or if you think that what he's doing is only to affect your natural circumstance right now. One of the keys, this is, this is absolutely a key, one of the keys to a correct perception is to realize that none of God's attributes spring out of the need of man. None of his attributes, none of his characteristics come from the fact that you need him to be that. All of God's attributes reveal his character in and of himself. He does not become something else because you need him to be that. He is already everything that you need him to be, and none of his nature and none of his character comes from the fact that you need him to be a certain thing in a moment. He just is that. As a matter of fact, when he tells Moses, I am, tell Pharaoh that I am that I am has sent you, what he really means in the Hebrew, what it says is, I am whatever it is that you need me to be has sent you. So he does not become something other than what he already is just because you have a new need. Listen, you got to see this. You have to see why. Because it affects the way that you approach him. And what I'm trying to get us to understand is that if we have a right perception about God, then we will not fight from a place of needing victory or needing a victorious mindset. We will approach every situation from the fact that he has already won victory and already given us a victorious mindset. So my need doesn't change who he is. He just already is everything that I could ever need at any point in life. And he's been everything that you've ever Ever needed prior to this point. Yeah, man. That's good. That's real good. He's not, listen, when we create a God that is only moved by our need, we create a God that we're only going to approach when we think he's having a good day. When we create in our mind a God that I hope I catch him on the right day, I hope I catch him in a good mood because I really need him to do this. And so I need him to do something that I'm just really hoping that I can catch him in this moment where he's really wanting to do good for me. Because if I catch him on a bad day, then I'm not, he's not going to hear my voice. He's going to turn his back on me. All of these things that we create about who God is, all of these ideas that we make about him. And what we're doing is we're bringing him to our level when his ways are past finding out. Are you with me? Okay. So none of God's attributes spring out of the need of man. All of God's attributes reveal his character in and of himself. Watch this. God has never been, he is not, nor has he ever been, governed by the limitations of the natural realm. Never. So the release of a word from God is not to affect the natural. He does not do that. He does not release words just to affect the natural. What he does, as soon as I can find my place back here, it moved on me. <laughs> 
His word is released. Watch this. You've got to get this. His word is released to set a people in order in the spirit so that people, sons and daughters of God, put themselves in a position to dominate the natural or earthly realm. That's what he does. He releases a word so that it can position you to affect what's going on in the natural. How many of y'all believe that? See, what happens is we, we, we pray these prayers and we, we, we come up with these ideas and we ask God to just move about what's right here, right now. And we've been doing it since Jesus started walking the earth. How can you say that? When are you going to deal with the oppression of Rome? Jesus, when are you going to deal with the oppression of Rome? Sermon on the Mount. He goes through this elaborate idea of what he wants to do to affect culture. He walks with disciples for three and a half years. Dies on the cross just like he said he would, is resurrected from the grave, just like he said he would. And in Acts chapter 1, as he's about to leave, they said, now are you going to deal with the oppression of Rome? Because what is going on right now is what I think you have to fix, when what he wants to do is fix something on the inside of here so that what happens right here doesn't sway me and I actually move into maturity. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4? One of the things, as he releases the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to, and he, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, one of the things that marks the, the moving of immaturity is that we are are not swayed by what we see right in front of us right and and so what happens is we create this idea of approaching God just in a place of need and then if he doesn't fix the natural need now he must be having a bad day and it will affect the way that we approach him next time now he must be in a bad mood Because I don't know if I can make it through this right now, but yet here we sit. I can't get no help in the Presbyterian church. Do you understand what I'm saying? We create this idea of who God is, and we miss the fact that he wants to completely transform the way that we think, right? I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... That ye present yourself. I'm doing Keaton James Version on purpose for some folk that think I left out a ye last week. <laughs> As living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. That you would, what? Not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And now I'm going to go passion translation by the total reformation of the way you think that you would not be led by the ideals of the culture, but that you would be transformed, have a complete reformation of the way that you think. Because when I think differently, I'm going to approach what I see differently. But if I keep the same, what they say, stinking thinking, right? And the disciples did it over and over again. You know, I'm so glad that I can read that they were walking with Jesus and did the same thing. <laughs> it gives me hope. It really does give me hope. Hallelujah. We cannot, we cannot allow what we see in the natural to define our understanding or our approach to the nature and character of God. When we do that, we are limiting his ability to be other than. You understand that's what the word holy means? It's other than. Kadesh. It's, it's other. It's different. It's not just without sin. That's not just what holy means. See, we make these ideas that, that being holy is just without sin. No, no, no. It's other than. It's different. That's why the angels that are circling the throne for eons of time have been just saying holy 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 and they've got six wings and they've got eyes in every set of the wings that are on axes and they tilt and they get different angles and every time they go around they see something different and they say he's just different he's holy he's holy he's different okay so we can't limit 
We can't limit God by our definition of what's happening in the natural. He's not, he's, he's not moved by that. Okay? Romans 11.33. Who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God, the depth of his wisdom, and the marvel of his perfect knowledge? Who could ever explain the wonder of his decisions or search out the mysterious way he carries out his plans? Who could do that? His ways are past finding out. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, I don't think they have this in the Passion Translation, but watch this. This is the Lord speaking. My thoughts about mercy are not like your thoughts. Jesus' name. My thoughts about mercy are not like your thoughts. And my ways are different from yours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. So I cannot limit what I believe about a holy God that is other than, that is different, based on what I can process through my intellect. I love what David said a while ago. You don't check your brain at the door when you come into church. Right? But listen, honestly, there has been this, there's been this deal around the world where, where we thought that, well, you just check your brain at the door and, and you just believe for the sake of believing. And what happens is because you have people teaching things that they don't know how to live out, it, it's this hybrid. It's almost like a genetic mutation. I have a word from the Lord in my notes in my journal right now about revival and a genetic mutation that happens when there is not a pure sense of what God is really doing. We create these things that are not what he designed from heaven and then we label it his will and if it doesn't look like what we want it to then his will must not be for me to function in it all right that's a little bit of the introduction mark chapter 8 mark chapter 8 everybody okay this is in me listen at least i didn't tell you this week that i'm not gonna be long last week i told you i wasn't gonna be long because i really didn't think i would but then there we were Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> this is right on the hills of Jesus feeding the 4,000. Okay? Right on the hills of Jesus feeding 4,000. Same, same chapter. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread with them except for one loaf of flat bread. And as they were sailing across the lake, Jesus repeatedly warned them, Be on your guard against the yeast inside of the Pharisees and the yeast inside of Herod. But the disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. So they began to discuss it among themselves, saying, He is saying this because we forgot to bring bread. Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, Why all this fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Do you still not see, watch this, or understand what I say to you? Are your hearts still hard? Remember what I said when I started this thing. When you think that everything that he says to you and everything that's happening is to just affect a natural circumstance, you miss the fact that he's trying to take something deeper in you. And sometimes the result is your heart becomes hard. Verse 18, you have good eyes, yet you still don't see. You have good ears, yet you still don't hear. Watch this. Neither do you remember. When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterward? Twelve, they replied. And when I multiplied food to feed over 4,000, how many large baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterwards? Seven, they replied. Then how is it that you still don't get it? This is going to be the thing that takes me out. I cannot go through this one more time, but yet here I stand. And here I sit. I feel like Jesus would sit down right in front of me at Heine Brothers Coffee Shop, sipping a good cup of coffee, and he would say, how do you still not get it, Ryan? 
You've got good eyes, but you can't see. You've got good ears, but you can't hear. Neither do you remember. And then he just lays it out. This is what I did here. This is what I did there. And then he asked him, I love the involvement. How many did you pick up? How many did you get? What happened here? What did you go through? What is it that I did right here? And they said, oh, this, boom, 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 boom. Then how in the hee-haw do you not get it? That's not in the Greek. Watch this. The religious and political spirit had caused God, had caused the God-given senses to misinterpret what Jesus was saying and completely miss what he was doing, okay? If you go read Mark chapter 8, it starts out by saying that he feeds the 4,000. He immediately is met in the next section of the chapter by the Pharisees demanding a sign. I don't know how to help people like that. Stop it. Anybody go watch that? Bob Newhart counseling, I'm telling you, works. Go, go look at it on YouTube, it's hilarious. I'm serious. He had just multiplied food and fed 4,000 men, not including women and children. Probably more like 16,000 people if we just really want to get down into it right? He multiplies the bread that's there and feeds this many people and they take up seven baskets and the response of the religious and political system was, show us a sign. And what happened is the people that were following Jesus were then being infiltrated by the thought process of the culture because Jesus gets into the boat and begins to talk to them about the fact that they need to be careful and beware of the leaven or the yeast in the Pharisees and the leaven in the feet in the in the in, in Herod, right? The religious and the political, Pharisees religious, Herod political. Be careful of what's on the inside of them, and they immediately think that they didn't perform well. Because that's what religion does. It expects you to perform. He must be saying this because we didn't bring bread. He didn't say bread. He didn't say bread. So now they've made up a revelation of what he said. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They made up a revelation of what he said to them and attributed it to their ability to fulfill the word of the Lord based on a jacked up revelation that they had of what he said and what came out of his mouth. Here's what I love, though. Jesus affirms their ability to see in the natural. He affirms their ability to hear in the natural. He does. He said, you got good eyes. You can see what's going on in the natural. You got good ears. You can even hear what's going on in the natural. The problem is you're just governed by the wrong spirit. What you remember is only marked by what you see in the natural. Hmm. You know what's amazing? If you read that story, if, 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 you, if you follow on past that little encounter with Jesus and the disciples, you know the very next thing that he does? See, he heals a blind man. Do you know why he heals a blind man? Because every miracle that Jesus does in the New Testament is to redeem a mindset that was lost at the fall of man. Every miracle that he does is to redeem, it brings redemption to what Adam lost at the fall. So he tells them, you're not seeing correctly. You're not hearing correctly. So let me go and I'm going to heal this guy's eyes. And it's amazing because this happens to be the one that he heals him and he says, I see people walking around his trees, which means he still doesn't have clear perception. And so Jesus prays again and now he can see. Every miracle that he did was to redeem a mindset that was lost, an idea, a kingdom thought that was lost at the fall of Adam and Eve. That's what he did. Because what he's doing is showing them, I am not governed by this natural realm. I'm only governed 
by the realm of the Spirit and only do what I see the Father do and only say what I see the Father say. And we're not limited to this natural realm. And what he was trying to do is to impart to these 12 disciples the fact that they don't have to be limited either. But we have to do this. No, no, no. The problem is we have too many big butts that keep us from moving in what he really wants us to do. What about this? What about this? What about what Jesus was saying? Don't you love the conversation? Don't you love it? Why do you think I'm talking about bread? Do you really think that I can't have bread? Seriously. Do you think that I can't have money? Because just go catch a fish and there's going to be money in his mouth. Why are you still here? And how many times, I love it. I love what Jesus says. He's like, how long? He doesn't say it here, but he does say it. How long do I have to mess with y'all where you don't really get what I'm trying to tell you and what I'm trying to get in your mind? And it had to do with their ability to remember. And I'm saying this because I've had moments where I have to remember what the word of the Lord is because my circumstance doesn't line up with what I know that the word of the Lord is over my life, over my finances, over my family, over my children, over my city. Hello. When the Lord gave me the word that Louisville be the most safe city in America, the very next day I got a whole list of research that said how bad the city of Louisville was. It was amazing. It was really good. But you know what it did? It confirmed in me the fact that I didn't make that up. He did just say that because he's about to do something that no other person, no organization, no program could ever do. And he's the one that's going to get the glory out of it. So we have to begin to think correctly. Listen, I know that this gets a little tricky because I know like I'm really messing with people because the truth is we're dominated by our thought life. Here, here, here's, what, here's what I heard the Lord say this week. You remember what you're fascinated by. And I'm not talking about the thing that commands interest or, or it's an allure, not that kind of fa fascination. But look at the definition. It's to transfix or to be spellbound. And I, I can't even make this up. The example sentence that the dictionary uses is that it's believed that the serpent can fascinate his prey. We get transfixed on something and it dominates our thought life and that's what we remember about God. That's why some of us still struggle with fear because it's what dominates our thought life. That's why some of us still struggle with lack. It's because it's what dominates our thought life. Listen, this is a bold statement. It's why some of us still struggle with perpetual sickness because it's what dominates our thought life. It's what, we've, it's what we're transfixed on. It's what we're fascinated by. I'm, I'm, I'm moved. When this happens, then I'm moved by that instead of the fact that by his stripes I'm healed. Listen, I'm not saying that every person in the whole world is going to be healed. I wish they were. I don't have an answer as to why. I just know that there's a yes in my heart to say that he does have healing and it's available for you. And I'm going to go after it every time in my family. It doesn't mean that I haven't lost family members to death. It doesn't mean that you haven't. What it means is I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to dwell on the fact that this didn't happen at this particular time the way that I thought it was. I'm going to dwell on the fact that he's a healer and healing is the children's bread. You remember what you are fascinated by and it dominates your thought life. And watch this. Actions follow what starts in your mind, but beyond that, what comes out of your mouth. If every story you tell is negative, it's what you think about. If every situation that you think you have to deal with causes bitterness, there's probably a good chance that there's a root of bitterness that's in there that needs to be removed. Why? Because you have good eyes and you can see and you've got good ears, but you, you're, you're, not, you're not really remembering you're not really remembering what he did. So every miracle that Jesus did was to redeem a mindset that was lost in the fall of man. So the ability to remember what he did is key to receiving the upgrade to the victorious mindset. Okay? Do you understand? You see that in the story of Mark 8? 
He mentions yeast, and they think they failed because they didn't bring bread. Even though he just multiplied bread for probably 15,000, 16,000 people. You, you see the story? So several years ago, in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up. And he said, we live, he said, we live from the place of created reality and not from the place of the transformed mind. We, we live from the place of the reality that we have created and not from the place of the transformed mind. You understand that reality and truth are two different things. Do you, do you really understand that, that reality and truth are two different things? If you don't, it's okay. Listen, I love what Claddy Keith says. He said, if you say you know something when you really don't know it, you'll never know it. If you say you know something when you really don't know it, you'll never know it. Because you can't, it, it can't get through. There is a difference between reality and, a, and truth. Reality is the resemblance of something that is true. Truth is the actual fact of the matter. The reality is we were all born into sin. The truth is that we were redeemed and everything that we lost in Adam, we gained and more in Jesus. I wish I had permission by the Holy Ghost to really talk to you about some of the stuff that he's dealing with me about. And, and the time will come. The time will come. But he's teaching me stuff that, that I lost in the fall that I don't even know. I think sometimes my own self that I don't, I've lost my mind. I'm serious. I, I'm skeptical sometimes to even talk to Rebecca. And, and I know that she's going she's gonna to be fine and love me every time. But some of the stuff I got, I'm like, I have to process this in my mind, Alyssa, to make sure that I don't sound crazy. Because of some of the stuff he's talking to me about. The issue is this. He's actually doing what he's telling me, and I'm seeing it unfold in front of my eyes, and I'm like, aha. And so if it works here, then I'm going to find out if it will work here, right? Because kingdom principles will work anywhere. Absolutely. Christian principles don't necessarily work everywhere, but kingdom principles work everywhere. Okay. Reality is a resemblance of what is real. Truth is the actual state of the matter. We remember the thing that fascinates us, okay? Are we good? We set to remember it's the thing that dominates our thought life. This is why some people can only see God as judge in the sense of a Western courtroom. That every time they think about God, every time they think about judgment, every time they think about approaching him, what they see is God sitting in the Abraham Lincoln chair with a black robe on and a gavel in his hand waiting for you to mess up, waiting for me to mess up. We have this idea because that's what we've been transfixed on. I, I, heard, I heard somebody say this week that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. If it wasn't kindness that led you to repentance, then is the structure that you built your repentance on even stable? If it was fear, because we were all in those services. Actually, I, I, I was somewhat pretty good at doing those services. If you were to leave here tonight and have a wreck, do you know where you would go? This is the night right now. And there are so many people that came into the kingdom because of fear and not the kindness of God. It's the Holy Spirit that draws them, but it's his kindness that leads us to actual repentance. And what happens is there was a whole generation of people that came into the church that were sorry that they got caught for their sin. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to back up, and I'm not going to go down there real far. But seriously, what, what is the foundation of what you believe about your repentance? Do you believe, it's in the Bible that it's his kindness, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. If you study that word, it's actually, that word, the definition says, the opposite of harsh, bitter, mean. Which are things that we attribute to God because... It's what we were taught. And so it, it, gets, 
it fascinates us. We're transfixed on the fact that he's a judge and going to bring judgment instead of the fact that it's not his will that any should perish. We're fascinated with the fact that he could send us to hell. I want to run with a group of people who are so after the things of God that hell is not even an issue. I do not get up and think I've got to live right today so he doesn't send me to hell. I don't. I get up and I think I want to do whatever I have to do to maintain this dialogue that happens. And that is what pushes. I don't get up and think I hope today's the day that Rebecca doesn't leave me. That's, that's, that's not what's in my thought process. Are you with me? So I'm not looking for people who are fascinated with the idea that a loving God could send them to hell. Yes, I believe in hell. Yes, I believe in eternal damnation. It is absolutely a doctrine that I believe in, but it doesn't motivate my relationship with God at all. It did in fear, which is why I had to ask, was it kindness that led me to repentance? I'm not motivated by the fact hell was not for me. You understand that, right? Hell was not for you. Hell was for the devil and his angels. Will there be people in hell? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I believe that. But it's not the motivating factor for living in a love relationship with him. Because if it is, that will wane at some point. And then it will end up sounding like, well, what's the use? What's the use? I can't, I can't be perfect anyway. I, you were never called to be perfect. You were called to be in love. And it's the love relationship that causes you to go after him. Okay. Are y'all, are everybody okay? All right. All right. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. Listen to what Tozer said. Faith must precede all effort to understand. Some of us struggle with faith because it does not precede our effort to understand. Our effort to understand precedes everything that comes afterwards. Faith must precede all effort to understand. Reflection upon revealed truth naturally follows the advent of faith. But faith comes first to the hearing ear, not to the cogitating mind. I don't even know what cogitating means. What does that mean? See, that's why I like reading Tozer. He just says words I don't even have a clue what they mean, but man, it sounds good. Don't it sound, somebody's going to use cogitating this week. That just cogitates me to no end. I tell you what, I have no idea. I understand everything else, right? Faith comes first to the hearing ear. Oh, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? What are you listening? What, what dominates your ear gate? What dominates your eye gate? Is it always negative? Is it always that, that the world is, is it's going to hell in a handbasket and I can't believe this, that, and the other? What's dominating your thought process? Is it your workplace? Is it, well, I just know too much and I've just been around too much. Well, then stop being around it. Decide to change it. Second Corinthians chapter 10. How do I do it? How? How do I think differently? How do I have a different mindset. How do I remember correctly? What do I do? Would anybody like to know that? Me too. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe we are living by the standards of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom. I love Paul. He just don't play around. Don't, don't, don't make me come down there like this. That's what he said. Some of you parents, know, don't, don't you make me come downstairs. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's doing. But look what he's defending. 
those who mistakenly believe that we're living by the standards of the world. You were called out of the world not to live by the same standards. Verse 3. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. That's what that scripture is, okay? They're energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance to the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. We bring every thought into captivity. You can control what you think about and what you dwell on. 100%. I'm not saying you can control the initiation of the thought. There are some things that come in and it's like, man, where did that even come from? But what I do with that thought and the way I navigate that thought process, I am in control of. Every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. I am in war with every thought that does not bow in obedience to Jesus. I'm in war with every thought that does not bow to the obedience of Jesus. But my fight is not with natural carnal weapons. It's weapons of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Guys, it is the Holy Spirit that reminds me of the ability of Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus is the Holy Spirit's favorite message to preach, and he does it every day. It's why he came, to tell us of the victory of Jesus, not the defeat of what you heard. He does not come and speak to you through fear. He does not speak through condemnation. If you are hearing through filters of fear and filters of condemnation, it's an indicator that you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to be the dominant voice in your mind. Man, I feel this. I feel this. We have the ability to live with renewed minds, but we make the choice. We can continue down the same path. And that, oh, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds me of the ability of Jesus. Jesus, it's his favorite thing to talk about. Watch this. There's more to walking by the Spirit and not the flesh than just keeping me from doing bad things. See, we take these scriptures and we're like, oh man, I'm going to walk of the flesh and I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk of the spirit, not of the flesh, and he's going to keep me from doing bad things. No, 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 no. What he's saying is you're going to walk with a completely different mindset, and so I'm not even going to go near those things that could possibly be there because I have a different mindset and a different thought process, and I'm not going to allow myself to go down that road. Why? Because I'm not moved by what's here. That's what we have the ability to do. I can't tell you how many times throughout a week that I quote this scripture in my mind. I bring every thought into captivity because I know it's not what you're thinking about me right now. I know it's not what you're thinking about this situation. I bring every thought into captivity. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if I'm thinking from a spirit of fear, then I'm not thinking with the sound mind that you gave me. I mean, over and over and over, I go through this stuff. All right, Psalm 78, verse 40. How many times they rebelled in their desert days. How they grieved him. It's talking about God. Watch this. How they grieved him with their grumblings. Again and again, they limited God. They limited God. We limit God. Preventing him from blessing them. And then get mad at him because we won't change the way we think. 
continually they turned back from him and provoked the Holy One of Israel. Watch this. They forgot his great love, how he took them by his hand. With redemption's kiss, he delivered them from their enemies. They disregarded all the epic signs and marvels they saw. When they escaped from Egypt's bondage, they forgot the judgment of the plagues that set them free. Their hearts were hard, and they did not remember. They did not remember. Look what Paul tells Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 18. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment. Let me stop right there. Listen, you have words over your life and just because you're not seeing them come to pass right now, they're in the process of fulfillment. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me close. They're in the process of fulfillment. They're in the process of fulfillment. Just because what you see is not matching it doesn't mean that he stopped watching over his word to perform it. Just because it's not lining up with what you want to happen right now doesn't mean that he stopped watching over his word to perform it. He's not going to stake his reputation as the almighty God on your circumstance and your situation right now. Why? Because he's not limited by this natural realm. I'm telling you, Paul is telling Timothy, his spiritual son, you take the words that have been spoken over you at the very beginning and you fight with those words because they're in process. Listen, I know that I'm talking to some people in here today that are waiting for things to happen in your family. You're waiting for things to happen in finances. You're waiting for things to happen in health. And I'm telling you, it is is not done. It is not over. It is in process of fulfillment. And this is going to help you fight in keeping with the prophecy spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. What you remember about what he said about you is a big deal. And he remembers differently than you do. Numbers 23, I have found no wickedness in Jacob. That brother's name means that he's a trickster. It means that he's a heel grabber. And I have Bible that tells me that he did it. I have Bible that tells me that he tried to pull the wool over people's eyes. But God, when someone was trying to prophesy against his people, said, I have found no wickedness in Jacob. He didn't even say Israel. He says, I found no wickedness in the trickster. What are you fighting with? Are you fighting with a doctor's report? Are you fighting with what you see right here? How long will you continue to walk around the same mountain over and over and over again just because you won't look at it differently? Just because you want to continue to do the same thing over and over again because we don't know what we like, we like what we know. How long? How long? And I, do you know how many times I've asked this question? God, oh, what have I prevented you from doing because of my thought process? What have I prevented you from doing because of my complaining, my negative speech? What have I, permit, what have I prevented you from doing because I can't see it correctly? My heart, is it hard? Do I just look at what's happening right here and determine that you must be in a bad mood this time because this just continues to happen? Do I have false ideologies about who you are? Have I limited, have I limited you to a man even though you said, I'm not a man that I should lie? Have I limited you 
to only be able to function within the box of my intellect. And if you don't do it the way that I think you do, then you must really not be the I am. And I don't know if I can trust you. You have good eyes. You have good ears. You're really good. You're really good at seeing what's in front of you. But are you seeing it with the correct thought process? I know, listen, I know this is real life. I, I, I had no illusions that we'd be running around the church shouting today because this is real life because I, I understand I'm right up in some of y'all's baths right now. I'm in your business right now. I get it because I've been in mine. He's been in mine. And I have to fight. God, you don't have a thought like I just had in me about me. You don't have thoughts like that. Your word tells me different. I have Bible on that, that you don't think about me the way that I just thought about me and about my situation. So what do I have to do to change this? God, you don't think about my children the way that I just thought about them. You, you don't think about the situations that I'm going through the way that I thought about them because your thoughts of mercy are different than my thoughts of mercy. They're different. They're different. And just because it's in process doesn't mean that it's not coming to pass. Just because it's in process doesn't mean it's not coming to pass. So we're going to get ready and we're going to do one real practical thing that Paul quoted Jesus In 1 Corinthians 11, 24, 25, Jesus gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take, eat your fill. It's my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it. To remember me. So today, with no music playing, they're going to pass out the elements for communion. Ushers, go ahead and begin to do that, please. And I want you, I want you to ask the Lord, what is it that needs to be cleansed in my memory? What is it that needs to be changed so that I don't think from a place of bitterness and hurt and reject, rejection or resentment? What is it that you want to say to me in this moment? I want to remember you correctly. I want to remember you correctly. Do you know that the Lord remembers different than you? He remembers different. You, you know, there's a story in the Bible that says that Abraham is fighting a war. He comes out of the battlefield and there meets him a man by the name of Melchizedek who has no beginning and has no ending. We don't really know who Melchizedek is, but we do know that Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to debate whether or not it was a theophonic manifestation of Jesus. I'm just telling you there was a man. And it says that Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And then it says... That because Abraham gave, it was credited to Levi, who would have been his great-grandson, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. What am I saying? He remembers different. Some of you today, as you take this, I feel this, guys. There's healing.
that's not just going to flow through your body, but it's going to flow through generations. And things that may have even been passed down in your life and in your family, the ability for it to be healed today just because we remember correctly what he did. I'm telling you today, there are relationships that are going to be restored as we take this today. I'm telling you, if you will see this correctly and if you will let it heal the memory, if you will let it heal what it is that you have been dwelling on and fascinated you that is not according to his word, I'm telling you, it's going to be credited to generations. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. There, there are things that Rebecca and I have said, this stops with us. It will not go to another generation. We've had, we've had conversations saying, we will not allow this to go on to another generation. God, we are praying for legacy because we know that you remember differently. And you're already there because you're not governed. You're not governed by the natural realm of time. So you already know what my great-grandchildren look like and my great-great-grandchildren look like. You're establishing something in them that they're going to look back and they're going to say, it stopped. It stopped. With my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, it stopped. And we don't even know we don't even know what it is to walk in the things that they had to deal with because there was something that was done. And we remember. We remember. We remember. We don't do this out of religious ritual. We do this to remember you. We do it to remember you. This is his body broken. I want you today, before you take it, I want you to break it. It's his body that's broken. Just break it. And as you take it, do it to remember. Remember the sacrifice. Remember the invitation that this represents. You can eat. This represents the new covenant. God, I don't want to hold myself to standards that you don't hold me to. I don't want to hold others to standards that you don't hold them to. I want everything that the new covenant paid for. I want everything that you bled for. I want everything that you were broken for. I want everything. I want my generations to come. I want them to have everything that you paid for. So today, we do this to remember you. We remember you. You can drink. God, I repent. I repent. I repent for allowing what I see to dominate what I think about you. I repent. I repent for making inner vows that said, I won't do this or I won't go that far or I don't want to feel anymore. I don't want to see anything else come. I repent for letting what I see be dominated, be the dominating voice in my life. I'm sorry for attributing things to you that are a result of sin. You have no sin. There's no guile in you, nor do you tempt man. You can't be tempted by sin. 
I repent. I repent for moments where I let the hardness of my heart be the driving factor, be the motivating factor in the way that I approached you, the way that I worshiped you. I repent for not making the history that you and I have a big deal. I repent for moments when I wasn't near as grateful as I should have been for what you have done. I want to remember well. I want to remember. I want to remember even those things that I perceived as judgment that really brought freedom. Just like you said in Psalm 78. They didn't remember the judgments that set them free. I want to see you right. I want to see you right. I want to know you. God, I ask today that you would restore wonder to this room. That you would restore the wonder of who you are. Jesus. we remember God I pray that you would release a grace over every person under the sound of my voice that you would release a grace to live 2 Corinthians 10 that it would be the lifestyle that they live that they take every thought that does not bow in obedience to the anointed one Jesus that they take it captive as a prisoner of war. God, I pray for a grace over this people today to gain encouragement and fight with the words of the Lord that have been spoken over them. Just like you told Timothy through Paul. God, I pray that you would give them a grace through the process. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that has been wounded by life. You've been wounded by life. And it's caused portions of your heart to be hard. I pray that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would become flesh again, that your heart would become flesh again. I want you to do this. I want every person in this room, I want you to put your hand, just put it on your head right now. And I just want you to begin to pray and ask the Lord, help me to remember well. Help me to see you correctly. Come on. Every person, help me to see you correctly. I bring every thought that's not of you into captivity. I bring every thought that doesn't come from what you think about me into captivity right now in the name of Jesus. I bring every thought about every relationship, every doctor's report that doesn't come from you. I bring it into captivity right now and submit it at your feet. Let this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to live from the place of the renewed mind. I want to live from the place of the transformed mind. In Jesus' name. I want to remember well. I want to remember well. I want to remember well. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we do this this week? Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we go...
and just write down either on your phone or on a piece of paper, just write down three things that you know that the Lord has spoken to you. That you maybe you've already seen it come to pass or it's in process. I just want you to write those things down and I want you to let that be the weapons that you fight with. When you have thoughts that you know are not from him, when you have thoughts that you know do not derive from what he thinks about you. And I just want you to confess that. I want you to confess those things that you know he has spoken to you. You know he has spoken over you. Guys, I do this. I do this. I, I have notes in here. I, I have words that my children have spoken over me. And there are moments when I don't feel like I'm living up to what they said. And I'll go back and I'll read it. And I'll say, this is what they said about that. There are words that I've spoken over them in here and in my journal. And I know y'all can't believe it, but sometimes it looks like they're not living up to it either. And I go and I read it. And I pray it and I declare it over them. And I'm just telling you, we've seen specific instances, specific wording come from those prayers back. Listen, there's a Bible that says your children will rise and call you blessed. They will. They will. So help us to remember. Help us to remember. What dominates your thought life is what your life will follow. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.